Welcome to Turning Point. You might think the persecution of Christians has decreased in this age of tolerance, but it hasn't. In fact, Jesus promised it would only get worse. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at why Christians will face more and more hatred from the world in the last days and how believers ought to respond. Here's David to introduce today's message in a world of persecution, Be Prepared. I wonder how many of you have ever been ridiculed for what you believe, have ever had people come after you for your faith. Well, uh, you know, it used to be that that was kind of like outside of our experience, but we live in a woke world, and wokeness is it's taking over in so many places. I just had a friend of mine tell me about some wokeness that got into his church and basically is about to destroy it. So um, persecution for what you believe. The Bible calls us to be faithful to the cause of Christ, to stand up and be counted, and to let our light shine so that men may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Today we're going to look at what's going on around the world, but then what's going on in our world. Well, friends, we've had uh, four uh, Turning Point rallies on the schedule. Two of them are in the history book right now, but we still have two left. Next Thursday, we're going to be in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. And then on Friday, November the 11th, we'll be in Buffalo, New York at the Key Bank Center. Tickets available for both of these events through davidjeremiah.org slash tours. Tickets are free, but you must have a ticket, and we hope you will come and be with us as we come to your community uh, with the celebration of all that God is doing here at Turning Point. Uh, Today we're going to um, jump into this part one uh, message on um, what it means to deal with persecution, and perhaps we will listen to it a little more carefully than we did the last time somebody talked about it, because we know that it is beginning to seep into our culture as a part of the overall uh, socialist doctrine that is beginning to be a part of our concern. So Matthew 24, 9 tells us this is going to happen. How can we be prepared? Let's open our Bibles together for part one of Persecution, Be Prepared. I want to begin with a story that you know Some of the details about, and I'll fill in the empty places. Andrew and Noreen Brunson were relaxing at a Turkish retreat on the Aegean Sea when the phone rang. Andrew said the voice, the police have just been here looking for you. The call was from the small church that Andrew had pastored for 24 years in the New Testament city of Smyrna in Turkey. That was the beginning of a nightmare that lasted 735 days. As he later recounted in his memoir, he was kept for a time in a small cell with no chair, nothing but a low bunk, meaning he had to be either standing or walking or lying on the bed at all times. The toilet didn't flush. His Bible and his glasses were taken away. Pastor Brunson was sometimes housed in overcrowded cells and unable to sleep because of the stifling fear and the stifling heat. Third of the way into the ordeal, he sobbed to the prison doctor, I can't handle it. I have constant panic. I don't sleep. I've lost 50 pounds. I have fought for eight months to control myself, and I can't handle it anymore. More than once he said he was afraid he was going insane. 
But the Lord didn't forsake Andrew Brunson. He said, each day I focused on fighting through my fear to reach a place where I surrendered myself to whatever God had for me. I had to learn the lesson of Isaiah 50.10. And he reminded us all of this verse that I had forgotten about. Perhaps you have too. So here it is. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Can we say that verse out loud? Isn't that a great verse? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Andrew Brunson said, God was teaching me to stand in the dark, to persevere apart from my feelings and my perception and my circumstances. Not long ago, Andrew Brunson spoke again, and his words were very sobering. He warned of persecution ahead for the Western church. Here's what he said. I believe the pressures that we're seeing in our country now are going to increase. And one of these pressures is going to be hostility toward people who embrace Jesus Christ and his teaching, who are not ashamed to stand for him. My concern is that we're not ready for this pressure and not being prepared is very, very dangerous. So I want us to be prepared And Jesus wanted us to be prepared. And one of the best ways to be prepared is to listen to what he said to his disciples as he sat with them on the Mount of Olives. This is what he said, Matthew 24, verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now the record of persecution goes way back. How long has there been persecution ever since there was Jesus Christ on this earth? He himself was rejected and scourged and crucified. He was a man of sorrows, the scripture says. And the early disciples were arrested and whipped and forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus, though they would not be silenced. As you remember, Stephen became the first person to die for his faith. And an entire chapter in the book of Acts, chapter 7, is devoted to telling us the story of that event. Eleven of the twelve apostles perished violently. Every one of them except John, who was banished to the island of Patmos in an old age. By now you might think we'd see a decrease in persecution. And that somehow the world, which is supposedly getting better would mean that persecution was decreasing and no longer were people being persecuted for their personal faith. Unfortunately, that is not true. In many parts of the world, the persecution of Christians now exceeds any period in history. According to Dr. Todd M. Johnson of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, more than 70 million Christians have been martyred throughout history, and more than half of those deaths occurred in the 20th century. He also estimates that one million Christians were killed between 2001 and 2010 and another 900,000 between 2011 and 2020. Persecution has been on the increase in the time in which you and I have lived, but we don't know much about it because so much of it happens other places. It's starting to creep into our culture more than you can imagine. But most of the time it's been in places we don't know about, but it's continued to grow. The reality of Christian persecution is evident. Each year, the Christian charity Open Doors 
releases a world watch list highlighting the 50 places where faith in Jesus costs the most. In 2022, Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen topped the list. Furthermore, they estimate that 360 million Christians in the world today experience extreme persecution because of their faith. And to give that some context, that is one out of every seven believers in the world. One out of every seven believers lives under the pressure of persecution. Jesus saw this coming. He didn't want us to be caught off guard. Once again, he said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And each phrase in that prophecy is important. So let's take them one by one. First of all, the promise of tribulation. They will deliver you up to tribulation. Now, the word tribulation is an interesting word. It comes from a Greek word that describes a grinding pressure. It's a word that was used for the grinding of wheat. Think of how they ground grain in the ancient world. The kernels were pounded and pulverized between two millstones, and there was no chance of relief. That's tribulation. And that is what Christ has promised we will experience if we follow him. That begs the question, are we already feeling that kind of persecution and tribulation? And the answer is yes. In fact, there are a couple of examples of Christians being persecuted that I called out from my study. Here's one. In Kaduna State, Nigeria, a group of Fulani herdsmen attacked four villages, killing 18 Christians, burning down 92 houses. The victims were specifically targeted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In eastern Uganda, a man named Yusufu converted to Christianity, even though he was the head of a private Muslim school. When the teachers at the school heard him praying in Jesus' name, they beat him and scarred him with third-degree burns and fired him from his position. There are hundreds of stories like that every day. I could give you any number of them, and I don't read a lot of them because they really discourage you and they make you sad and you feel bad for the people who are going through all of this. But notice Jesus' second promise. He says they will persecute you, and then verse 9, he says they will kill you. This is really getting good, isn't it? From persecution to murder. The world of the end will see a dramatic increase in the rise of martyrdom and religious killings, not only in regions of the world dominated by Islam and Hinduism and socialism, but in all the nations. The Bible uses the word martyr to describe someone who is slain for their faith. That's what they called Stephen. Acts 22.20, the blood of your martyr Stephen. Jesus reminded the church in Pergamos, Antipas was my faithful martyr. Now the word martyr was used, but it means witness. And it means somebody who dies because of their witness. Someone who dies because they say what they believe about who Jesus is. And they proclaim him as savior. They preach on the corners. We see people out there. We think they're weird, but they're preaching. They're doing what they think is right. They're doing something to witness for Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in the future, when somebody does that, they will be taken out. Kayla Mueller understood that reality as a Christian. She believed it was her responsibility to join in God's work of relieving suffering in the world. I find God in the suffering eyes reflected in mine, she once wrote. Addressing God, she added, if this is how you are revealed in me, this is how I will forever seek you. While serving as a relief worker in Syria, Kayla was taken hostage by members of an ISIS cell. 
She remained a prisoner for 18 months, enduring abuse of every kind, along with several other female captives. She eventually became a personal prisoner of Abubakar al-Baghdad, the leader of ISIS. When a group of her friends, four women, made a plan to escape their captors, she refused to join them. She said, I am an American, and if I escape with you, they will do everything to find you again, so I shall stay. And the four women did escape. They smuggled out a letter that Kayla wanted to give to her parents. I told you this story because I really want to read this letter. Here's a portion of what that amazing young woman wrote during one of the darkest circumstances you can imagine. This is to her parents. If you could say, I have suffered, she wrote, throughout this whole experience, it is only in knowing how much suffering I have put you all through. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I have come to a place in this experience, Kayla wrote, where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our Creator because literally there was no one else. By God, by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in freefall. Did you hear that phrase? Tenderly cradled in freefall. I have been shown in darkness light, and I have learned that even in prison you can be free, and I am grateful. Kayla Mueller died at the hands of Baghdad, yet she is victorious today because her story is proving once again that the power of light is greater than the power of darkness, and that freedom over tyranny and love over hate is always the right equation. Kayla's witness will forever reveal the power of the gospel, a power that endures even to the face of death. So Jesus said to these four men, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Guys, I want you to understand something. There's some tough days coming. And I'm not going to smooth them over. I'm not going to tell you they won't be tough. They'll be tough. And here's something you need to know. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to try to kill you. And here's why. Then you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I would ask this question right now. Here's the question. Have you ever felt anything negative because people know you're a Christian? Have you ever felt any pushback or anguish or maybe even fear or rejection because people know that you're a Christian? One of the grimmer realities of Jesus' revelation in this verse is that persecution against his followers is not clinical or detached. It's the persecution of God's people during the world of the end fueled by emotion. We will be hated. Of course, such hatred is unwarranted. It will be unwarranted in the future. But for 2,000 years, the world has raged against us, seeking to disband the movement that Jesus began, seeking to ban the Bible that he gave, seeking to disrupt the ministries he started, and seeking to destroy the souls that he saved. You don't have to look very far or listen very long to find out the world isn't standing up to applaud the Christian faith. So what motivates people to do that? I mean, we're good people. We help our neighbors. We try to be kind. And Why do they hate Christians? Why do the people of the world, especially people in places of responsibility, in media, the elites, if you will, why do they look down their nose at Christians? And the motivation behind it is the motivation that goes back to who Jesus is and what he has done. He came 
to deal with sin. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He offers salvation. But in order for you to be saved, you have to admit that you're lost. And my dad used to tell me as a pastor, the hardest thing about getting people saved was getting them lost. Because <laughs> most of them don't think they're lost. They think they're pretty good. They think they got it made. They think they're good enough to go to heaven without God. They don't need Jesus. Jesus said, you'll be hated by all nations. And then he said it for this reason, for my name's sake. The reason Christians experience persecution is because we have aligned ourselves with Jesus Christ and the world hates Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18. John 15, 20 says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, it's important for me to clarify this because I hear this word used a lot improperly. I got a D on that test. I'm just going through persecution. No, you didn't study. (laughs) Or I don't have any money left in my account. I'm going through a time of persecution. No, you should have saved some. We use the word persecution as sort of a cover word for everything that's negative in our lives. But persecution doesn't fit any place except in this narrow place. Persecution is what happens to you, particularly because of the fact that you are a Christian, a follower of Christ. And that raises an important question I'm going to ask you, and I hope you'll think about it. I'm not asking you about your salvation. I'm asking you, Have you ever publicly identified yourself with Jesus Christ in such a way that those who know you know what you believe? And have you ever told anybody that you didn't think wanted to know this, that you are a Christian, that you are a follower of Christ? Here's another way to answer that question. This is a great question for all of us, especially for the younger ones. If you got arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to prosecute you? Everywhere you look today, there are people who are tucking their New Testament in their inward pocket and walking by because they don't want anybody to know that they belong to Jesus. If they don't know I'm a Christian, I'm still a Christian. Yeah, but not a very good one. He doesn't want us walking around sticking our faith in everybody's nose, but he doesn't want us covering up our faith in any situation for any reason. We're to stand up for what we believe and not be ashamed to do it. And sometimes you have to confront what's wrong. When I was a pastor back in Fort Wayne and I was first getting started, I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s. Much to my wife's uh, frustration, I played in two industrial basketball leagues every week. One was in the Y in downtown Fort Wayne and another was in another place. So I played basketball two nights a week. And I made a lot of friends there. It was the only contact I had with people who weren't Christians because if you're a pastor... As soon as you walk in the room, they get on report, you know. The pastor's here. You've got to behave and all that. But when you're playing basketball, nobody cares about that. So I'm playing against this guy. And this one particular game, I remember, he was using the Lord's name in vain every time down the floor. He was having a bad day, and he wasn't making his shots. And every time he missed his shot, he took the Lord's name in vain. And finally, during a timeout, I went over to him and I said, you know what? you got to quit doing what you're doing. He said, what's that? I said, first of all, Jesus isn't missing the shots. You are. So quit using his name. <laughs> and secondly, Jesus Christ is very special to me. 
and you use his name in a way that's very dishonoring to him, and it's hurtful to me, and if you keep doing it, I'm going to have to not play in this league anymore, and you know that wouldn't be good. The rest of the year, I never heard him peep one word that wasn't, I mean, he might have said jeepers once, but I'm not sure. Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, that's a silly little story. Yes, it is. But how easy do we just accept what happens by other people? Because we don't want people to know that we are Christians. And the Bible says that's not being a Christian. We will have to stand up for our faith, and when we do, we will have issues. Jesus is telling his disciples this because he wants them to get ready. He knows they're going to face some stuff like this. And so we have the record of persecution and the reality of it. Here's the response to it. Let me tell you another story, most of which you may know. Coach Joseph Kennedy has inspired those of us in America with his example. As a high school football coach in Seattle, he would always take a moment to kneel in prayer on the 50-yard line after the game. No matter win or lose, sometimes members of his team joined him for the prayer, and sometimes even players from the other team joined in. But whether in a crowd or alone, Coach Kennedy prayed after every game, and he did it for seven years. Then in 2015, an opposing coach noticed what he was doing and reported him to the Bremerton High School principal. Soon after that, the school athletic director told Kennedy to stop praying, citing the school district's policy regarding religious expression. The coach tried to do as instructed. In fact, he skipped his weekly prayer after one game and felt so guilty and regretted his decision so much that before he got home, he turned his car around went back to the empty stadium, tearfully returned to the 50-yard line, asked God to forgive him for not doing what he should do, and expressed his love for the Lord. He resumed the ritual of post-game prayer the following week and the week after, and that's when the officials placed him on leave and then declined to rehire him for the following season. Joseph Kennedy had spent 20 years serving his country as a United States Marine, and he was fired for 20 seconds of prayer. And the coach, he's a fighter. He sued the Remerton School District in 2015, claiming they violated his religious freedom and constitutional guarantee of religious liberty. And seven years later, in January of 2022, his case was taken up by the United States Supreme Court. And on June 27th of that year, the news flashed across the Internet that in a 6-3 to three decision, the Supreme Court ruled in the coach's favor. And I say hallelujah. May his tribe increase. May there be more Joe Kennedys. Whenever possible, we need to kindly and bravely stand up for the freedom that allow us our faith. Amen. Amen. Well, it's time for the weekend, so uh, let me remind you again of how important it is for you to get to church. So very encouraged in talking to my pastor friends that uh, people are starting to come back and the church is beginning to feel vibrant again after all that we've been through, how desperately we need to be together. The church is not uh, the church unless it's gathered. So um, be sure to get to church this weekend. If you haven't been going, this is a good time to get started again. We'll be on television over the weekend. You can find us somewhere near you on a network or a local station. If it's during the time you should be in church, then just DVR it and watch it when you get home. 
And then, of course, um, we'll be back on Monday to continue our series, The World of the End. Remind you again, you can get that book from us by giving a gift to Turning Point during the month of October of any size. Just say, please send me the book when you send your gift, and it's our way of saying thank you for your investment. The book is also available in stores everywhere where good books are sold. You can find this book, The World of the End. I want to thank you so much for your support, especially during this fall season as we have this new book release and our rallies are in process. Many of you know we also do a Caribbean cruise during the time between Christmas and New Year's. You can find out more about that by going to our website. It's December the 28th through January the 4th, and it takes you to the beautiful warm waters of the Caribbean while everybody's freezing back home. (laughs) We'd love to have you come with us. It's really a lot of fun. Great way to end the old year and begin the new. And have a great weekend, friends. Thank you for being so faithful this week. We'll see you on Monday. God bless you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The World of the End, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's powerful new book, The World of the End. How Jesus' Prophecy Shapes Our Priorities. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The World of the End, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his new book, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, Dr. Jeremiah will send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. A group of pastors once considered inviting the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody to hold an evangelistic campaign in their city. One of the ministers was reluctant and asked, Why Moody? 
Does Dwight Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? After a few silent moments, another pastor spoke up. No, uh, Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Moody. I can't imagine a higher compliment to pay to someone than to say that the Holy Spirit monopolizes that person's life. What does that mean? It means that God has more influence on that person than anything else. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's Holy Spirit on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.